Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. everyone, welcome to a brand new edition of Hewitt Home. February is Black History Month and our special guest today is Donald Burrell. He was a defensive back for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers back in 1981 to 82, a coach, and now he shares his personal story growing up in Birmingham, Alabama and then coming here to Winnipeg. So please welcome Donald Burrell. Winnipeg is always very well known for its sports and of course our beloved Winnipeg Blue Bombers. So it is an honor and a pleasure to bring one of those names that you might remember. Of course you remember Donald Burrell, defensive back for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and a coach. And now you are living here. So thank you so much, Donald, for actually saying, you know, Winnipeg's okay. To, share, <laughs> to spend some time in <laughs> and a lot of time. But uh, Donald, the reason why I really wanted to have you on Hewitt Home is, is that you do have a powerful story to tell. And you know, although we, yes, it's February and it's Black History Month, but these stories don't need any special time to be told. And I think they do need to be told and shared with everyone. So I'm happy that you agreed, and uh, Donald, let's uh, hear your life story. You know, your journey when you were young and to where and how you came to Winnipeg to play, to play football. Well, Tracy, thank you very much for having me on this show. And um, God, I'm very honored, but I grew up in uh, Birmingham, Alabama, and in the 50s and the 60s. And, um, at that time, uh, Martin Luther King um, made the great one of the one of the statements in one of his speeches that Birmingham in the fifties and the sixties was the most racist city in the United States of America, and in part, growing up in a city um, that was segregated, and, and it, it was segregated from. Uh, if not my entire parts of my entire life there, my entire growing up there and um, segregated segregation just meant um, I went to, I lived in an all black neighborhood, uh, went to an all black elementary school, went to an all black high school. Um, grocery stores were all black. Um, churches were all black. And just the part about um, the church I want to relay and, and part of my, my experience um, dealing with racism in Birmingham, Alabama, was I was um, in church, uh, eight, maybe nine years old, 
I can't remember. And the kids were always in the basement. We did uh, Sunday school in the basement. And one of the uh, clerks came down and said, Dr. King is upstairs and he want all the kids to come up because we're going to go on a march. And me being one of those little kids, little nine-year-olds, eight-year-old kids, was excited, uh, not knowing the, the, the ramification of who Dr. King was at that time. All I knew was just Dr. King wanted us up front. And so we were um, put in front at the historic, historic now, the march was called Birmingham Riot. And so he started his speech and in his mind, he was gonna put all the little kids up front knowing that no race of human beings will ever harm kids, no matter what, no matter what your color is, or no matter anything about you, you they, they would never harm kids in his mind. So all of the little kids, myself, were put in front of this march and we left 16th Street Baptist Church and we started going downtown Birmingham. And all I can remember about it was when we turned the corner from 16th Street Baptist Church to First Avenue, and our goal was to go to City Hall and have this march and protest against, I can't remember exactly what we were protesting, but. Dr. King and all of his uh, associates was there and he was, they were behind us, the kids, a whole line of kids. And I can remember just turning the corner and just seeing uh, an un, a great amount of just white policemen in, in riot gears and batons and on horses and seeing the fire trucks there and the men standing there with the dogs. So we kept marching and of course, uh, history, part of history is they turned the fire holes on us. They turned the dogs on us. And I was one of those little kids. I was one of those little kids that got hit with the water. And all I can remember is just flying in the air because the water was so powerful. And I had a suit on. And when the water, when they stopped shooting us with the water, my suit went up my arms and up my legs because it was just, the water was so powerful. And that is just one of the things um, that I will never forget how hard that water hit us. And and the kids, we were little kids. We were just little, little tights. And of course it hit us first and it shot us all over the place. And um, people can go back now and look at the Birmingham riot and, and they can see the dogs being turned on us, the holes being turned on us. and people being arrested uh, at that time. Um, so that was one, have been one of the most trying experience that I've experienced with racism in Birmingham as a kid. Um, one other one that um, I want to talk about is, um, I was 10 years old and um, it was two days after my birthday. I was, um, I was 10, so August 2nd is my birthday. And this might have been August 4th, August 5th. And this friend of mine named Victor in the neighborhood had a go-kart. And for my birthday, and he never let anybody ride his go-kart. He was just adamant about it. Never, you could ride in it, but you couldn't drive it. 
So he was going to give me a birthday present to let me drive it that day. So he let me drive it, and I took off going up the hill in it, and I turned around and was going back down, down the hill, and the gas pedal got stuck. And when the gas pedal got stuck, it hit a brick wall and it flipped and it pinned me under it and it's on fire. And for me to get out from under this go-kart pinned on me that's on fire, I had to stick both of my hands up into the fire and push it off of me. And when I did that, I got burned from here all the way down on this arm to my knuckle on this arm, I got burned from here all the way here. The scars are still visible now. And I got burned so bad there that you can literally see my bones. So um, back in that time, which was the 60s, um, blacks didn't have hospitals. The, the, the hospitals were white only. And we only had clinics. So by the time I got home, showed my mom my arms, um, she grabbed me, we got in the car, and we drove to the white hospital. And uh, my mother carried me in, and the first white doctor she saw, she said, my son's been hurt. And this doctor looked at my mom as if, like, what are you doing here? And looked at my mom. And then he said, well, take the little end and put him on the table. And so she put me on the table and he took 30 seconds. And he told my mother, he said, I can't save those arms. I'll have to cut them off. And my mother said, you're not cutting my baby's arms off. You wrap him up and I'll take him home. So my, the nurse came in, regrettably, she touched me and wrapped me. She didn't want to do it. And my mom took me home, and overnight, I set up an infection in my arms. And I'm screaming all night, crying and screaming all night. And my mother came in, and she finally said, um, Donald, I can't take you screaming. I'm sorry, baby. I have to take you back to that hospital and let those white people cut your arms off. I can't take all of this screaming. It's just way too much. So we get in the car again, and I, I remember this vividly. We're sitting in the back, my mom's holding me, and she's saying, Don, baby, it'll be okay without your arms. Kids, kids play, kids, people live every day without their arms. But this, you're infected, and, and your arms just have to come off now. And there's, there's nothing we can do. So she took me back to the hospital, and again, she carried me in, and the first white doctor she saw she said, here, take him. You can cut his arms off. I can't take all of the screaming. He's in too much pain. You can cut his arms off. And this particular doctor, it was a different doctor. This particular doctor looked at her and he said, excuse me? And she said, no, cut his arms off. He's in too much pain. Just cut him off. And the doctor said, well, do you mind if I examine him first? She said, I don't care what you do. He's in pain. Cut his arms off. And... I remember um, him taking me into the, to a different examining room and laid me on this really cold table. And he and I remember him saying, I'm laying there screaming in pain. I remember him saying to my mom, she said, he said, well, 
I don't know why you want me to cut his arms off. I can do a skin skin graft and save his arms. I'm not sure why you want me to cut them off. And my mom said, well, I was here five hours ago and the last doctor said he couldn't save him. He had to cut him off. And so this doctor said, well, I want you to go have a seat and I want you to remember you're going to tell me that doctor's name when I come back out. And then all I remember is him coming back in, sliding something in the side of my mouth and said, swallow it. And apparently 13 hours later, I still have my arms. The doctor did a skin graft and I spent 13 weeks in the hospital and um, I was the only black kid allowed in that white hospital for 13 weeks. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. My, my parents, when they came to visit me, they could not come through the front door. They had to go through the back door of the hospital, take the service elevator to come up to a special wing where I was allowed to be in that hospital. And I was only allowed to be in that hospital because of that doctor. And um, this particular wing that I was in, it was called the Steve McQueen Burn Wing. And it was just Steve McQueen found out that I had got burned. And he said, no matter what, he's allowed to stay there. So Amazing. I, I still have my arms. Uh, <laughs> thank, thanks to that one doctor and Mr. Steve McQueen at the time. So what um, a story. That's incredible. Donald, do you know who the doc, did you get the doctor's name? <laughs> Oh, and actually, and, and the other doctor that wanted to cut your arms off. <laughs> well, my my mom remembered his name and gave it to the other doctor. I'm not 100% sure what happened. And um, yes, Dr. Bellevue. I um, I think I, I, I was at a Mississippi State and um, when we, at Mississippi State, they used to ask us to do community service stuff. And the first thing I wanted to do was go to the hospital to burn you and just see, see, see the little kids. And when I, I, I did it a couple of times in Starkville, Mississippi hospital. And when I, when I did that, the first thing came to my mind and I said, Donald, you need to find Dr. Bellevue. Like he needs to know you're playing professional, you're playing university football. You went through high school and you ran track and you were the captain of the football team, captain of the track team. He needs to know that. And um, I got my mom to do as much research as we can. And, and, and we found him. He had retired by then, but we found him and I, I was actually able to get him on the phone and just say, I know you don't remember me. And I know he said, oh, yes, I do. Aww. He said, I, I remember you, Don. I just, 
Um, is the, how are you? I said, I'm great. I, I'm just, I'm at Mississippi State. I'm on a football scholarship and I graduated from high school and I'm here in university. And yes, I did get a chance to thank him on the phone. I was just, uh, it, it, it was chilling to just to hear his voice and just to hear that he still remembered me. And, and he said, and he told me I was his first skin graft ever he had done. <laughs> and so. And a success. Uh, Oh, yes, and, um, and the total success, yes. Oh, well, there's so much more to come, Donald. I don't want you to go away um, because you did tell me, too, that I might need some Kleenex. Well, I, 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 I thought maybe the burn story might do it, but I don't oh, guess it did. No, no, <laughs> it, it, it did. No, that, that really sent chills, and what a great story. But when we come back, though, I want to talk more about... Uh, your move to Winnipeg and, you know, playing professional football. And, yes, your life here in Winnipeg and, yeah, the racism and all those ugly things kind of still continue on through life and how you've kind of coped with it. So, folks, don't go away. We'll have more with Don Donald Burrell and his story. We're going to take a short break. And in the meantime, there's a great uh, event happening in our city on Saturday, April 23rd. And I'll have more information coming right up. This is Hugh at Home. The city's hottest event is happening on Saturday, April 23rd at the beautiful downtown Metropolitan Entertainment Centre. It is the 5th Annual Winnipeg Nightlife and Lifestyle Awards. This year we're changing it up. We're going to recognize and honour all those who have pivoted, made a difference, supported others and above all found success during the pandemic. Go to the website wnla.ca and nominate now. Nominations close February 21st, and then the voting begins. Who's going to win? Well, we'll soon find out, and we'll see you at the show. Welcome back to Hugh at Home. My special guest is Donald Burrell. And Donald, you shared some amazing stories in your growing up years in Birmingham, and now I'm going to shift to Winnipeg and football, all things football, and yay, you know, hey, first of all, what do you think of the Bombers? Not bad, oh, eh? <laughs> the The best organization in the CFL, obviously, with back-to-back -back Grey Cups speaks for itself. Oh, no, no doubt. But let's go to your years wearing the Bomber jersey. What was it like? Um, those were probably some of my um, 
greatest football experience as a professional football because they were my first. Um, I was a rookie, my rookie season here in 1981, um, playing alongside some of the greats of uh, Vince Faison and Reggie Pilsen and Paul Bennett and uh, Joe Pop and all of those guys. Um, it was amazing. I The learning experience uh, started there and my birth of professional football started here in Winnipeg. And it was great. I, I had a wonderful time. And then you said that you did go to the USFL with uh, our great former coach, Ray Yock. I, yeah, I love coach, Ray. Coach, coach, coach Yock, Coach Ray J uh, left uh, in 84, 80, 80, 83 and this went to the USFL and started in the USFL. And I went down there with him. I followed him down there. He asked, wanted me to go down with him and I went down with him. Loved him. My one of my favorite coaches of all yeah. times. Okay, so now let's look at that. You're playing professional football, and if everything that you had experienced before to that point in your life, um, what was it like? You know, were you one of the guys? Was it you know, or did you still feel the segregation or the difference back then? No, absolutely not. Um, coming to Winnipeg and coming to Canada altogether was was one of the biggest um, thing that happened to me in my life that put segregation and racism behind me. I just I just felt the love in that locker room. We we were um, brothers from another mother from day one, and and it just I, I mean. It still is. I, I still see Trevor and, and Paul Bennett and some of those guys, and the love is still there. Um, no, we didn't. We didn't have that kind of environment when I was playing here. We we just we 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 had a thing every Monday night. We the whole entire team got together, whether you were whether you drink beer or not. A team as a team, we we were together. We we stayed together. It was awesome. Uh, Dita Brock. All of those players were just fabulous to be on the team with. Oh, well, that you know what, and that is so wonderful to hear. And then moving on, you came back and you were coaching, right? And and you still coach today, am I right? Yes, I'm. I'm still coaching. I've um, oh, just um, had an opportunity to sign a contract only uh, three days ago with a new football league called Fan Control Football. I'm getting ready to head down to Georgia and uh, be a part of that as a defensive coordinator. And yes, I'm still coaching. Wow, congratulations. Whoa, this Thank is you. a first, it's, hey. It's, we, it's exciting. Ooh, yeah. It's, it's exciting. I'm, yeah. Uh, I'm very excited to still have an opportunity to um, do what I love to do, and that's teach football. And whether uh, I stayed in Winnipeg um, to give back to this community in that environment, and I've never regretted it. Oh, well, and so let's talk about uh, you wanting to be a teacher and you having a big commitment not only to the game and sport of football, but also to uh, accepting everybody and being inclusive. You were just recently involved with this anti-racism in sport, and you yourself, um, came forward with a, a pretty powerful story. So I'm hoping that you can share it as well here on Hewitt Home. 
Well, um, that particular uh, situation is um, one of the one of the most hurtful things that um, scarred Canada for me. Um, 2009, I was part of the coaching staff here, and um, we had a staff meeting, and and I vehemently disagreed with um, the others on the coaching staff uh, about taking our most valuable football player off the field. And and I, I just didn't agree with it. And because I didn't agree with it, um, I walked in on one of my coworkers at the time using the N-word referring to me. And the part that, I, I mean, I, I understand the world we live in, people, that uh, racism and prejudice is, is going to be a part of us no matter how many years we live on this earth. It's never going to go away. But the thing that hurted me, I think, the most in hearing that word was that I lived in Birmingham, Alabama my entire upbringing. And my move to Canada was in my mind, I would never hear that word again. I would never have to be subjected to that kind of hatred and, and that kind of name calling in Canada. And, um, you know, this being Black History Month, the Underground Railroad meant that we could come up here and we could be free of free of, of being slaves and free of being harassed and free of being talked to in a certain way and, and, and gain respect for being a human being. And I should have been respected for having my own opinion that I didn't agree with them taking Jovan Johnson, who became the very first defensive back to be named the most valuable player in the CFL as a defensive back. I didn't agree with taking him off anything. I wanted our best player on the field and I was just adamant about it. And because I was adamant about it and the way I was adamant about it and, and the way it came across, I was called that name. Uh, so that that experience is, is just something that has stuck with me every, ever since 2009 and it's 2022 and it still sticks with me. And what are some of the lessons that you instill in your kids or, or your players now, Donald? It's, 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 it's acceptance. It's, it's, it's just no matter how different you look, no matter what your culture is, is respect. You respect people. Um, you, you respect their, their, their right to have a different opinion no matter what, at the end of the day, it's about respect. For me, it's about respect. Um, I think that in my teaching, especially with the high school football uh, program that I was recently head coach at, their, their number one thing for me is you, you respect people and you, the, the women, you yes ma'am and no ma'am, yes sir and no sir. I mean, it's, it's, it's respect from day one. Um, with the, they, they could never come to my practice field and on my practice field, it's my practice field, they couldn't swear. 
Um, if I hear anybody swearing on my practice field, everybody's doing up downs till I get tired of watching you do up downs. And they knew when they hit that field, they, they weren't allowed to. Before I got there, it was free range. You say what you want and you treat people. And I said, no, you know, that's where we're going to start. And, and I think when you instill respect, you instill discipline at the same time. Mm -hmm. And uh, obviously it worked for me because 2019, we had a fabulous year, undefeated, unscored on, and, and I should have been named coach of the year, but I wasn't. But that's another story. Uh, but it's, it's respect from day one. Respect people, re respect people's right to have a different opinion, uh, different religion. At the end of the day, for me, that's what it is. All right, so respect. And also you had mentioned uh, coach of the year. Uh, coaches versus players. Players, I get it. You see, you see all different races, cultures within the players. Coaches and higher up, the big administration, not so much diversity. Do you, no. do you think in your Mr. Burrell mind that that's where the problem may lie, and that's where we do need to see some progress and being more inclusive and diversified in the coaching staff, in the owners, and wherever that is management, upper management? Uh, of course, I honestly think everything starts at the top. Your, your leaders uh, as your owners, as your general manager, as, as your presidents sets the tone for the entire organization. Mm -hmm. And if everything in that front office, everyone in there looks the same, there's a problem. And I, I think if the president and, or, and, and the owners and the board members uh, don't have the mindset that we need to present a diverse environment, um, it, it will extend into the locker room, no doubt. No, no, no doubt, none whatsoever, it will. And, and, I, and I think when I was playing, um, the, the one thing that I have always been proud of is the way Paul Robinson handled us and the, Paul, the way Paul Robinson treated us. Um, it, it, I, I, I never felt anything but respect from Paul Robinson. And he was a general manager at the time when we were here. And I, I've just always known that if, if everyone in the CFL treated people the way Paul Robinson did, we wouldn't have these conversations of racism and diversity and, and discrimination and the things that are actually still going on in this league today. It's, um, um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's kind of funny that, um, in this past year's playoffs that one of the people that was involved with the N-word being used when it was used in my situation ended up getting fired because after the game, some racial comments were made. Mm -hmm. And, and, and it took this long for that person's hatred and racism to rear its ugly head. But it finally came true. 
And when I'm sitting here in my living room and I, and, and I heard that news and I said, oh, it took that long. It took that long for it to happen. So, um, and, and that person, player personnel director in a, in a very high prestigious position in an organization where if you have a person in that position and they're making these decisions and they're bringing these players in, um, they're only going to bring a certain player to look a certain way. Um, so for me to answer your question is I, I think it starts at the top and that person that's at that top has to have a diverse mentality. Yes. If not, everybody in the office is going to look like them and talk like them. No doubt. Yes. Okay. So parting words from Donald Burrell for all of the young up and coming football players or go-kart racers, or doctors. <laughs> Respect people. At the end of the day, um, women deserve to be respect, obviously, number one. And people of different races, a different mentality needs to be respected. And I think if we start with respecting each other and respecting our ability to think different and have different ideas and different views. I'm, I'm never going to live in a world without racism, but I want to live in a world that's more tolerant with, with people and, and more, less aggressive. Take the aggressiveness out of what we do and be more respectful and be more tolerant. That would be my parting words. Wow leave the world a better place. Thank you so much, Donald, for all of this and sharing some time with us. And yes, your stories have resonated. And yeah, it, I know I know the battle will go on. But you know, if each and every one of us can show some respect, we'll make the world, I guess, that much better. Right? Well, that's all that's all we can ask for that much each day and eventually um, it, it'll snowball into a better place for yours and mine, kids and grandkids. And, 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 and my true wish is, is that my grandkids um, can live their entire life and never hear the N-word. Mm -hmm. Never hear it. Um, I'm, I was hoping Canada would present that for me, but things happen. And, yes. and, and, and I'm a firm believer that if, if you respect and, and love people, uh, eventually we'll get there, Tracy. I really do believe we will be. Mm. Thank you so much, Donald. It's been an awesome pleasure. Thank you. All right, thank you for having me. So the Hive is a climbing and fitness facility, so we're bouldering only, which means no ropes or harnesses. We use mats for protection. But the four pillars of our business are climbing, education, health and wellness and community and those aspects all kind of come together to create like a five-star climbing experience.
We want to give a very special thank you to our special guest Donald Burrell for joining us and leave you with this question. If you heard someone use a racist remark, what would you do? We want to know, so send us an email to hello at ilikehugh.com or you could message us on Facebook and Instagram at ilikehugh. But for now, stay safe and healthy and we will see you next time on Hugh at Home. Jeff Woods and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people, he, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast, heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from jeffwoodsradio.com. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holawati from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.